Welcome to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. I'm Joey Roberts. So we've been able to design our lives around the way we want to design it, as opposed to being subject to beholden to a business or a job. And that's been a big focus for me is really being able to design the life that I want. Like, you know, I'm going to my daughter's soccer game like in an hour, right? And so if I had a job, uh, I'd be unlikely to be able to do that. Rob Green, welcome to the Fearless Sellers Podcast. Rob is the mastermind behind 17 successful Amazon brands and the host of the popular I'm the One podcast. I'm so excited to dig into his incredible journey from launching his first product to flipping businesses for impressive profits. Get ready to uncover the secrets of building and selling lucrative Amazon businesses and to learn about the strategies that turned a simple dog product into a six-figure success story. Welcome, Rob. Thanks, Joey. I'm excited to talk about my experience. Yeah, glad we can not pick you apart, but pick into (laughs) your brain because 17 brands is impressive. Um, You know, I... I don't know exactly how many brands my business partner, Jamie Davidson, he has. He has like 3,000 products, but I would say 17 brands is like up there with one of our top sellers that we've hosted on the podcast. So let's go back to the beginning of your journey. Why did you launch your first product and then tell us about that product? Yeah, you know, some of the advice people give is you should find something you're passionate about. And I worked in corporate America for a long time, and I realized my passion was that I hated corporate America. So (laughs) I knew a long time ago that I wanted to get out of corporate America. I just didn't know how. And so I actually originally started in 2011 drop shipping. So I learned e-commerce kind of the hard way, I guess you'd say. I learned AdWords from scratch, built a site through a contractor on Odesk, which is now Upwork, uh, loaded products, did all that stuff through Volusion, which is a competitor to Shopify. So I learned kind of the hard way. And then, then I learned about private labeling in 2014. I did ASM, Amazing Selling Machine. Mm, yeah, and yeah. I was like, this seems a heck of a lot easier than selling other people's products. Because that's the big problem with drop shipping is you can't change the product. And it's a true race to the bottom. We're all selling the same product. So I want right. to do something different and create my own product. So I did ASM. I, I just booked a flight to the Canton Fair. I went to Guangzhou. Uh, I didn't know anything. I went through the training course and I booked a flight and a few friends said, hey, you're going to China? And I said, yeah. So they're like, we're coming with you. So a few friends tagged along and ran my own, figured out my own little mini group of four of us as we went to China, went to the Canton Fair and decided on the first product, which was a dog booster seat. Uh, Still cracks me up that I picked that. We didn't have a dog at the time, but a dog (laughs) booster seat is a small little basket, I'd call it, that you go in your front seat around the headrest. And the dog gets propped up so it can see out the window. And it's more secure in the car because you can attach it to a harness. And I found that it was a, a really easy product to make. And most of the products yeah. out there were, were poor quality. So we designed a better product. And I think we sold 40 units a day for five years until I sold that brand. So it was just very consistent, solid little product. Um, sold for like 40 bucks, good ASP, um, nothing crazy, but that was my first product and it was successful. And why were you like, Hey, I'm going to go to the Canton fair. Did you just want to go to go, or did you have a strategy that you were going to go to find your lucky product? 
You know, at that time, I, I think I'm like most entrepreneurs. I get super excited about a lot of different topics. And I try yeah. to dig in. I get a little bit of the uh, um, shiny object syndrome, I think. But I wanted to go and just see, kind of in my head, prove like, oh, there's all sorts of opportunities out there. I mean, if I were to go back, I would have done totally different stuff than what I ended up doing originally. But I didn't. I wanted to just take action. I think too many times entrepreneurs are afraid to take action. And I'm like, listen, we're just going to do stuff and then figure it out and, and optimize from there. And we made so many mistakes. I made so many mistakes along the way of product selection, advertising, organic ranking, all the stuff that's important to be successful. But if you don't get in the game and start doing it, there's no way to actually learn because you can, you can read a lot, you can go through courses, and that definitely puts a foundation. But you've got to have the experience to actually start doing it. So for me, it was more about just getting a, an idea of the scope of opportunity. And I was at the first Canton Fair and I had bought my wife. They'd just come out the year before. One of those like face scrubbers, like a, a Remington little brush. Oh, like the spinner? Circular. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd paid $150 for it from like a, it was brand new Remington, you know, bought an Ulta or Sephora. And I go to the trade show and it was $9 for the identical product without the brand on it. And I was like, I think there's an opportunity here. I think we can figure this out. Uh, we can make this work. So that was just more confidence building for me, that there was plenty of opportunities. It wasn't like you had to find one magic product to make it work. Yes, exactly. And you said something key in there is making mistakes with product selection. And I keep this, I'm holding it up. So if, I know y'all are watching, but I keep this product or are listening. If you want to watch it, this is on YouTube. But this is the first product that I ever launched and it was horrible mm -hmm. and it was a fail. And I keep it sitting on my desk and I'll carry it with me just to remind me that the first product you launch or the 10th product you launch that fails never defines you. Mm, I agree with you there. I mean, I think sometimes it's a challenge, right? You do want to do the analyzing of the products, but you need to balance that with not overanalyzing and not launching products, right? But I think building a system, a few years back, I put together a system that scored opportunities myself. So I built out the model and it allows me to get us one number. So I could say this product is a 60 and this product is a 40 in opportunity wise. It gave me one number to actually compare opportunities from products uh, for launching purposes. And that helped a ton to keep us moving forward with launching products. So let's dig into that a little bit. So when you're uh, weighing to rank the opportunity score, you're looking at search volume, uh, competition, uh, Cost or revenue, sales, whatever per month, and then you're pulling it all in and just giving it one score. What else yeah, plays so, into that that I missed? Reviews. Yeah, I mean, so you've got search volume, but you also have breadth of keywords, right? I, I've had launched products that have five keywords that matter. That's really hard if you've only got five keywords to go after and mm -hmm. you're not in the top three. You're not going to make a lot of sales. Versus some products yeah. I've sold have 200 keywords that actually get sales, right? So breadth of keywords, search volume, um, competition is really, really critical, especially nowadays. I don't want to go into a category or a product that has 200,000 reviews as the bestseller. That is yep. borderline impossible to overcome, right? So that's a big factor. Average reviews, but for the top sellers, um, uh, ASP, average sales price, uh, margin, you know, ROI. So what I did is just build tables that scored each of those metrics and then built one score off of those metrics. And not everybody has the different, you know, each of us has kind of our own expertise, I'd say. So maybe you're yeah. better at product 
you might feel that you could overcome more reviews because you're, you're going to, you know, you're going to make a better product or you're better at um, ranking organically. You're like, that's fine that they have a lot of reviews because I'm going to beat them anyway because I can outrank them organically. So for us, it was just, I needed to have one score because you're like, I, I've done a bunch of categories. So when you look at different categories, it's hard to compare, you know, supplements to home and kitchen unless you have some type of one scoring mechanism to equate them. Yeah, that makes sense. And where was that just an internal software or did you sell it? Yeah. No, no, we just built it ourselves in internally. So we pulled together okay. a bunch of different data sources and then allowed us quickly to have overseas people run it and be able to like copy, paste, download, put it in there. This is before AI. I mean, AI now is implement. We've implemented AI <laughs> to help us a lot in this process. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you can easily do that. There's tons of really cool AI tools that have cut down hours and hours, like especially digging into negative reviews or just reviews in general. I used to spend 20 hours doing that for every product I might sell. And now you can do it in like a minute. Yeah, we used to do a word map, a cloud word map where we would download the reviews and then the word map would show the size of the word would be the frequency of that word inside of the search terms instead of the reviews. And now we just run like Shulex, uh, it's voc.ai, or we just run it through ChatGPT and we can get like unbelievable amount of data in, like you said, a minute. It's unbelievable. Yes, it is. And, and y'all listening, I'll put the link in a special code for Shulix that Rob just mentioned. I'll put that in the notes so you can take advantage of this too. It really is something that'll give you a competitive edge. And I guarantee if you're not doing it, your competitors probably are. So you want to pay attention to these. Okay, Rob, going back, you seem like a, a risk taker, even though they're calculated risks. So 17 brands, why, why 17 brands? Like, why not just go aggressively with one, yeah. two, three, or five? Yeah. And I will say this, I wish they were all successful, Joey. So I don't want to, I, I don't want to paint the picture. They were all winners. I definitely had plenty of losers in that ah. batch of 17, to be honest with you. And so that's, I am a risk taker. And I think that this is more of a do as I say, not as I do. I don't think anybody <laughs> should do tons of brands, honestly. And we have been continually focusing and narrowing down. You know, we've sold a few brands over the years. Um, we've got a handful of brands right now, but we are continually narrowing our focus down to a couple of brands that really matter. And I think that was probably an a mistake or a learning experience I made. I think by going too wide, you really limit your resources. And I think we were not as good in each of the brands as we went through them. I would go back and do one. I say one or two. You should really do one. One or two brands. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're going to do multiple brands, stay in one category so your knowledge compounds, right? Mm. It's really, really hard. And I've seen, this is one of the reasons I think a lot of the aggregators are failing. It's really hard to get knowledge from, again, supplements and transition that to home and kitchen or home and kitchen to supplements. These are completely different categories and it, the knowledge doesn't stack well. So if you are going to do multiple brands, I would strongly stay, suggest everybody stay in one vertical because the knowledge compounds over time. Yes, that is a great thing to say. And look, not one seller can know every single category. And look, I'm an I'm a Amazon selling coach, and that's why I have a team of five other coaches with me because... I, you don't know what you don't know, and you do not want to give out bad advice to anybody, and especially yourself. I don't want to sell myself a dream and run out of money. Um, so 
that's where like this product, my first product, I was like, I need to just fail fast on this and, and then get a coach in a team that could help me grow. So, um, you seem very, so you're entrepreneurial and you seem, I, I don't want to use the word aggressive. I guess it's kind of like assertive and go, go, go. And when you were telling that story about finding your wife's face thing, I thought you were about to tell me you also bought that and, and we're going to sell it. Like that's where I thought we were going. I, I did consider it. I, I definitely did consider it. I, I think it was, I tend to be assertive. I like assertive more than aggressive, but I've been categorized as both. And I am, I think it comes back to confidence in yourself. Like, and I, I do truly believe not enough people really believe in themselves and invest. Like, there's no better investment than I would ever make than in myself. Like, I, I would always bet on myself over somebody else. So for me, it's, it's, I've had enough success over time before I became an entrepreneur even that in corporate America that I believe that it's, I'm going to figure it out. And I, I have a core belief that if somebody else is doing it and as long as they don't have some ability that I am incapable of ga gaining, I could do the same thing. And for me, that confidence, do it I can do it better. Hopefully, hopefully we can find somebody. Now I do more of a who, not how approach where I try to find somebody who already knows how to do it. And are you familiar with that book, Joey? Have you heard about Who Not How? I have not, but I oh, should read it because I think great. about that all the time. And that's how I got, great. you know, my coach. Yeah. I, so Dan Sullivan, I'm in the strategic Co coach program through Dan Sullivan. It's my fourth year. And he wrote a book last year called Who Not How. And the concept is really simple. Once I say it, you're going to go, yes. Everybody, when they come up with an idea, says, well, great. I've got an idea. How do I do this? And the problem is for our type A type people, we go and we do research, we figure it out, we want to learn how to do it. And then four weeks later, we can take action. Instead, what we try to do is say, all right, great. I don't know. I know I have an idea, but I don't know how to do it. Let's go find the person who already knows how to do it, has already done it. And let's contract or work with them on a project so we can speed everything up along the way. Yeah, that completely makes sense. I'm still going to read the book and I'll put the link to to the book in the notes as well. But yeah, that concept makes makes sense and it it takes a a community, right? Or you can't work as an entrepreneur just by yourself at home. Like you you have to plug in to people who are smarter than you. Yeah, I, I Joey, I could not agree more. I mean, I went to a few masterminds. I spoke at a few events when I first started in 16 and 17, 2017. And then what we realized, uh, a friend of mine and I were, we, we paid like 10 grand to go to like Cabo for a, an event or something. And I'll never forget because I went to my wife and I said, hey, I've been selling for maybe a year and a half. I was doing pretty well. And I said, listen, there's this event I want to go to in Cabo at a resort called Secrets. And she's like, this sounds a little sketchy, but tell me more. And I said, it's, it's 10 grand. And I, it looks interesting. I think I meet great people. She's like, I don't think you should go. I said, great. Thank you. Three days later, I was like, hey, I bought a ticket. I'm going to Cabo. I'm sure it'll be worth it. And she's like, okay, better be, it better be worth it is what I heard. I went, I met a bunch of great people there. And one of the guys I met, Pablo, came, we kept in touch a few months later. He's like, why do we pay these guys to come to this event? All they do is put us in a room. So we started a mastermind together that doesn't make any money. So it's not profitable for us. It's just putting like-minded people together. And that was six years ago, one of the best things I ever did. Because everybody brings value to each other and we all add value to each other and we learn together because no person is an island unto themselves. 
Exactly. Yes. Yes. I, I've paid, you know, $30,000, $40,000 for a mastermind and I have gotten value out of, out of them. Um, it, it, there's the toss up of the people who pay, pay attention and Mm -hmm. then other structures, but I really like your, your, your free structure, but I'm sure it's not that easy to, you know, just sign up and get into It's probably invite only. We don't let anybody in. Yeah. We don't let anybody in. We have, we have guests that come, but we have permanent members. We've only added maybe a handful of permanent members over the last like six years. The big thing is like, what I found is when I paid a lot of money, um, I, I'm still engaged no matter what. But some people, when they pay a lot of money, they lose engagement because they're there to take because they're like, I paid the money. Now I want to receive. What we found is by voting and then voting people out that don't bring value, everybody's attendance is insured by them adding value. So everybody yeah. continues to add value all the time. And it's, it's, it's kind of like the law of reciprocity, right? If you get, yeah. you get back. And I think that whole, I, that just resonates with me. I want to be around people who want to help me and I want to help them. Right. That whether it's coaching, whether it's a mastermind, whether it's going to a conference, I encourage everybody to do more of that because there's no way you can sit in your room or your office and just watch YouTube and get the same value you can of building that network of connections. Exactly. And there's successful sellers like yourself and me where if somebody genuinely wants to be successful on Amazon, I really do want to help you. There's room at the table for all of us. Oh, it's a huge pie. The pie keeps getting bigger. So I, I help people a lot. And it's just random people or friends of friends. And I'm always happy to help people because I feel like there's such a opportunity. I mean, I think that, you know, I'm an MDS, which has got a lot of really quality sellers in it. And it'll be random people. I mean, there's like 500 people in there. I have a bunch of them I haven't met. But I love helping people because I, I think that having an abundance mindset is really critical for yourself and for everybody else around you. Yes. And you get that abundance mindset from, you know, feeding off others. I love that. You did mention uh, earlier when I was like, oh, you're 17 brands. You're like, hey, not all of them, you know, we're crushing it. So can we can we talk about that? Like maybe give me an example of like one of the brands, um, either if you just decided to let it go, what the challenge was, how you overcame it. Yeah, I, I think people learn more from the failures than the wins a lot of times. And most people are afraid to talk about the failures, but I, I think of failures as like lessons learned. And so I love to share that. One example I'll use is I sold patio lights, like the 48-foot strand of patio lights a few years ago when they got really popular. And so <laughs> we became the I think second best seller in that category. And I mean, we're selling 300 units a day, you know, $60, $70 a unit. It was great. What happened was the Chinese came in and the sellers came in and they just kept lowering the price. So we were very good for a couple of years. And then what ended up happening, by the time we exited the brand, we just ended up shutting it down because there was no margin left, right? They were selling two strands for less than I was selling one strand. And with the cost structure, these are heavy, expensive products, there was no margin left. So it it was a race to the bottom in that category for margin. And we ended up just winding it down. I think I picked like a prime day and I want to say like 2019 or 2020. And we just sold out the last like 5,000 units or something like that because it was a race. about The margin didn't make any sense for that product. So we had a good run for a couple of years and then we just wound it down because the margin didn't make sense anymore. And, and that's something I think has sped up over the last few years. 
it used to be you'd have a, a longer window of time before the price compression or the margin compression would happen. Now what we're seeing is it's happening much, much faster. So you have to be aware of positioning your product, not only product selection, but how to position your product to give you the best chance so it doesn't go to the bottom. I mean, if you're the low cost provider, you better be able to stay the low cost provider. Otherwise, you better build a better product and try to sell a premium product or a better product that has some type of functionality, not just marketing perspective. So well said. And what I'm doing with some of my products now is something I've never done in my selling journey. And I wasn't into it. It was actually one of the reasons I like selling on Amazon. But I have poured thousands of dollars into my packaging design. So people mm. understand that this is a luxury product. And I'm not going to race to the bottom with price. I, I think that's a great idea. We have some standards we've adopted years ago. Like, here's a simple example. Any box we do is a five-layer box. We don't do three-layer boxes. And so for anyone that doesn't understand, traditionally, you have an outer layer, an inner layer on a cardboard box. And then you see a little bit of like uh, zigzaggy inside. And then there's maybe one more layer. That's like a three-layer box. We have five layers in every one because you can feel the difference between a three and a five. But just the reality of UPS, Amazon kicking a box down the, I feel like they kick it down the street before they deliver <laughs> it sometimes. But we want to give the best chance of what we can so that they do. That's their only experience, their first impression is when they get that package. And I think packaging is absolutely critical. I mean, I still get stuff in plastic bags, which Ziploc bags, which I still blows my mind <laughs> that people are packaging in plastic bags. And so I think it's, a great idea to put some of the money into packaging because if it's something that you want to build as a brand or as a recurring sale, that's their first interaction with the product. And I don't know about you, Joey, but when I get a plastic bag, I'm like, uh, whatever I paid for this, I overpaid. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And then I'm just remind myself how much I love to support Amazon sellers. And I'm like, well, I know that person's probably not in the AMZ Insiders program. So I'm just <laughs> going to enjoy their product. <laughs> yeah. It, it's interesting because I think it's, it, it's one of those things where you have to think about it like they're, they're penny wise, but pound foolish. Because it is expensive to, to get a better package and a better box and you're paying for design. I mean, it is more expensive and it's very easy to say, well, it doesn't matter because they won't see it until after they buy it. But I think it does add to the quality of the reviews. It adds to recurring customers. It adds for the opportunity to get more sales. I think it goes a long way. I mean, I, I could definitely be wrong, Joey, but that's just my, my, my impression of it. Yeah, I fully agree. Fully agree. All right. Share with us a really proud moment for one of your Amazon brands or, or some big milestone you hit that you were like, hey, you know what? I have poured so much into this and I, I'm feeling good right now. I, I'll give you two. So the first time I sold a brand uh, through a broker, uh, the first brand I sold was small. I had a couple products. I bought it and added a couple products. It was mid, uh, mid six figures. And that was like a, a really cool moment. Like that was 20. Was that the dog one? Uh, nope. It was a different one. It was a fitness brand. It was like 2019 I sold that one. 2019 I sold that one. And that was like mid six figures. And then I sold one for mid seven figures to an aggregator in 2021. And both of those, you know, seeing the progression to go to mid six figures to mid seven figures was really, really uh, recognize all the effort and, and the work that I put in to make it happen. 
And so I ran that process myself. Uh, I've got a finance background. So I just did that without a broker and ran it on my own. Um, but I definitely, those were two moments, I think, that it, like, kind of felt like it was worth it. I mean, we made money along the way, but there's something about getting the larger wires that when they come in, it just feels like all the work, all the effort was worth it. Yeah, that like, like big inhale, exhale, like, oh, I should take a vacation. But instead, I still have all these brands to run because yeah. I'm Rob Green and I just keep building. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not great on the vacation side. I mean, we do a vacation in the summer, but uh, I, I, this is fun for me. I mean, if, I think if it wasn't fun, I don't think I'd be doing it still. And so I yeah. really enjoy it. It's, it's fun. I get excited about new opportunities. We've got one today. I'm going to make an offer on Monday to buy another brand. As I say, you should focus more and do less brands. Uh, but we are, I'm going to make an offer on another brand on Monday to buy. I've already talked to the guy a couple months ago and hopefully we'll close that deal in the next 30 days because I think there's some significant improvements we can make to that brand. So we're, we're in acquisition mode still. We're talking to people every week about opportunities to buy brands because I still see so much opportunity out there. And, um, this is going to be in a specific vertical that I want to stay into. So what makes a brand attractive to you that you would want to purchase it? I look for uh, things that maybe they're not good at that we are good at. So what I think we're world-class at is organic ranking. Um, I think we're great at listings. I built a, a custom GPT about a month and a half ago when it came out. I built a custom GPT that writes listings better than any person that's ever worked for me and better than I write them. So best. Th so we're using AI to improve our processes. So I'd say data. Listings, PPC, and I think we're okay at branding and then organic ranking. So I think those things, so if they're missing those things, those are um, different categories that we can focus on and do quickly and improve what they're doing. Because I think there's a lot of product people in brands yeah. that really love the product, right? I tend to be more of a marketing guy than a, I love, I want to make good quality products, but I don't, I'm not as, I mean, I had a dog product. I didn't have a dog. I had a coffee brand. Yeah. I don't drink coffee. Like, I'm a little more yeah. ambivalent about the, the product than some people who are, like, die hard about the product. And they miss, like you said, the packaging. They miss the listing. They miss the, the marketing side. They miss the data side. That's probably the number one thing I see is that people don't like data. A lot of people don't like data. So they don't really understand how complex it is to understand, like, lifetime value, your CAC um uh, search for uh, S sqp data like all that kind of stuff is really challenging for quite a few people yeah it's intimidating you know sure. digging into your brand analytics and all of that but i agree with you the the first brand i built uh that i ended up exiting selling that was not a product i was into people today would never know. I never put my face on the brand. It was marketed towards men. Like it was not a product for me, but I loved it. The marketing, the listing, it's just addicting. Like it's so fun yeah. to do all of that. Well, it's, it's fun because you get a feedback loop. That's the beauty of like online marketing versus, you know, old school TV and radio marketing. Like we can just go make a change right now and see the results tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the feedback loop is so short. That's the fun addicting part of it for me. You just nailed it. And I think that's why selling on Amazon is so addicting because you see the feedback, small change. It's like, you know, when you work out week one, week two, you're sore. Week three, week four, you're like, hey, I'm looking good. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's continuous improvement, and it never stops. I think that's part of it. It's fun too. It's like you know, you talk to some people, and this is we see we see this a lot. People that had success when it was much easier on Amazon haven't maybe stayed on top as it's gotten more complex and more difficult, and so now they're struggling to launch new products or new brands. A lot of people I know that have had success have not launched a new brand in the last four years. All of their success mm. comes from brands that they started before because they got removed from it, right? They've got a team now. They don't really know how right. it works on brand analytics, right? So you've always got to have at least one person on the team who's staying on top and getting that network effect and understanding what's happening on the marketplace because it changes so fast. Yes, true, true. Now, with all your brands and your success, you got attention from Amazon, from like corporate Amazon, and you are one one of not very many that is in the the Voice of the Seller program, right? Yeah. So they started this. They started. This, they tried to do this program about five years ago, and I went with some friends in a, in a mastermind to uh, give them feedback, and it just kind of fizzled away. And now they've recommitted to making this Voice of the Seller program. So I was invited through a friend. There were four of us at a panel um, in November, and it was all about the data analytics tools, you know. And it was fifty executives in the room, another fifty to hundred on um, Zoom or Chime, actually, because they use Chime. And we just sat there. They asked, asked us questions. We talked about the tools, how we use them. And I've been doing this for years. Um, Phoenix, we've got about five hundred Amazon employees here. And some of the departments like uh, the Lightning Deal team is here. So I've been going there and giving feedback every six to nine months on the platform. And then this Voice of the Seller program now is much higher level. Like we, I went back in December. There were eight of us there for that meeting. And like the head of global FBA is in the meeting. And we're just panel to panel, four of us and four of them talking about, hey, have you looked at the new inventory capacity manager? What do you think about that? How could we do this better? How could we message this better? So there seemed to have a bigger focus, especially in the last, I'd say, year around bringing um, more feedback and getting more direct feedback to the executives because they do really care and want to make a better platform. So I, I've been very fortunate to be a part of a couple of these meetings. I would hope to be a couple, couple more, but they're trying to build like a board of directors uh, in 2024 that has, they cycle through maybe 10 to 15 different sellers on a quarterly basis or maybe a monthly basis. So it's been really exciting because uh, you get to talk to people that actually can make a difference and actually do something there. That is super cool. Yeah. And it's like you're immersed in Amazon and I am too. And I have so much respect for them. And I just think that's super cool that you get to be in the program and sit in the room with them. It's really, really fun. And, and, and they do follow up. I mean, they want to, they, the last one, they right away, they schedule another meeting for the next week because they want to dig in deeper to what we're talking about with some FBA issues. So um, I know Leslie Pearson. Do you know Leslie Pearson at all? I do not. She's a, a, a really good seller and she lives there. So she is intertwined into the, to them. They, they all know her. She's like, hey, I'm in the building. Come get me. So she's, uh, she's intertwined with all the Amazon executives. And uh, they've been doing this. And it's really, a, I think it's a positive experience for everybody because they want to get better. They realize there's a disconnect between what they do a lot of times and what we get. And that was my big feedback to them is the messaging is terrible. Like, I didn't even know about this capacity manager. And then when I dig into it, I don't, still don't know how it works. So you guys don't yeah. do a good job of messaging. So I think there's a lot of opportunity around that for them to have a deeper connection in the seller community. Yeah, well, awesome. You're on the campaign trail to help all of us out here. Super cool. Trying. And you'll, 
You'll have to introduce me to Leslie. We'd love to have her on the podcast. Okay. That'd be, she would, she'd be a great, great guest. Yeah, that would be awesome. All right. Based on all this like experience you have, what are you so excited about for the future, like the rest of 2024 for Amazon? And it can be e-commerce in general. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit of a twist. Uh, TikTok shops. So uh, I yep. think TikTok shops is absolutely unbelievable. So that's actually going to be a focal point of our mastermind next week is TikTok shops. So we're going to talk a lot about TikTok shops. So I've, uh, for the mastermind, for example, I scheduled a call with a software company out of Hong Kong that has been uh, building software for TikTok shops ever since it started in Asia. So they're going to do a Zoom call with us. And then I schedule a call with a TikTok employee who used to work at Amazon, and now she's in charge of growth on the platform for brands. So I am, I'm sold. On, it feels like TikTok shops is what Amazon was eight or nine years ago to me. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Watch out, Walmart. TikTok shop is going to oh, take you down. They're going by Walmart. They're going right by Walmart, <laughs> right past them. Sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm excited about TikTok shop also. We, we talk a lot about that in our AMZ Insiders. Um, yeah, I just love all, all online product sales and opportunity. Well, and a lot of people, I don't think really understand the value um, from crossover. I know what I mean by that is I've seen some products that I've researched that have crushed it on shops and they've gone from a 2000 BSR on Amazon to a top 100 BSR on Amazon, purely because of the overflow traffic from TikTok to Amazon. It's clear as day. They get on there and it's a, it's a sharp uh, inflection point on the chart of improvement in the BSR. It's, it's mind-blowing. So uh, I think there is a lot of wow. ancillary benefits from off Amazon traffic that it's hard to quantify, but you can see it over and yeah. over again. That's how I won. Mine was all external marketing. It was which my background was in. I was on digital marketing teams. And in that was the skill that I felt I brought to Amazon selling was the external traffic. And I just had to learn how to sell. But I was could consistently stay in position one, two, and three with external traffic. So yeah, I completely agree that that it matters. And it'll continue to matter more, but I also feel like there's so there's so many different ways to push external traffic. So it's not to be discouraged. People should be excited. Like, hey, there's more opportunity to be pushing to my listings. Yeah, I mean, one thing we haven't even spent much time on this, but my daughter, I have a 15 year old daughter and a 13 year old daughter, and my 15 year old, they only communicate on chat, Snapchat. That's it. All of their yeah. communication with their friends is Snapchat. They don't use text or phone calls even, they even call on Snapchat, right? So I don't think Snapchat's been fully utilized from an e-commerce perspective yet either, right? There's all these platforms that have different types of users that if you can figure out, because we know that Amazon rewards people with external traffic from a, a ranking perspective, uh, they want you to send traffic there, right? So if you can figure that out, honestly, Joey, it seems like you have the cheat code because that makes everything a heck of a lot easier. Yes, it does. And you just have to have it all perfectly orchestrated. It can't just be one. It can't just be a Google ad or something on Pinterest or something on TikTok. It has to be kind of like, I call it like a, a marketing campaign and activation, right? And mine were always around mm -hmm. what I would call like my Super Bowl, like uh, Father's Day. And I would have my like seven things I was going to do 
to to drive and make sure that I ran out of inventory, which I did all the time. <laughs> That's another challenge with, with uh, inventory-based businesses. But I, I really think so many people, that, and that's why I think getting a network of people or coaching is so important because it's very difficult to be good at so many different things, whether it's cash flow, supply chain, ranking, external marketing. I mean, there's so many hats we have to wear until we have a big enough team to have experts on each of those that you need somebody else to help you in some way, whether it's mentor or coaching or whatever it might be. You have to have it, someone else to really be successful at it. Yeah, well said. I I agree. And you seem uh, like your journey of of selling has really contributed to your personal growth as well. Yeah, I think, you know, I feel like um, everybody's an architect. So I figure I want to design my life. So when my kids were little, I worked in corporate America, hated it, and said, I don't want to do this. We live in Phoenix, super hot here in the summer. So how do I design a life in which we can leave for the entire summer? And a job wasn't going to be the way to do that. So I needed to start a business, needed to figure it out. We started an e-commerce and then we're able to design the life that we want. I can stay healthy. I can work out. We leave the day after the kids get out of school in May and we come back the day before they start school in August and we're gone for the entire summer. We leave every spring break, every fall break. So we've been able to design our lives around the way we want to design it as opposed to being subject to beholden to a business or a job. And that's been a big focus for me is really being able to design the life that I want. Like, you know, I'm going to my daughter's soccer game like in an hour, right? And so if I had a job, uh, I'd be unlikely to be able to do that. Yes. And that that is exactly it. You have to hold on to your why. And I can just feel that because I, I have a little kid and that's when he was two and a half, I was like, I have got to stop being on the road and I need to be home. Like, like I'm, yeah. I'm his mom and I want to, I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss a soccer game. Right. So you hold on to your why and then you just ride the waves and you're a great example of it. And thank you for being so open and kind of like humble with us, even though to me, it's like very impressive, everything you've built and done, got attention from Amazon. And I've really enjoyed this chat. Anything you want to, we didn't touch on or that you want to leave us with? Uh, this is going to sound a little sexist, Joey, in maybe the other way that most people sound sexist. I think it's much harder for women to be an entrepreneur that's that is driving the business. And we've seen this. We have one woman. We've had women in the past. We have one woman in the mastermind who's a permanent member. And every single meeting we talk about this, how do we get more women e-commerce entrepreneurs in our group, even as guests? There's just so many guys. It's just, I think as a, uh, especially a married woman with kids, there are so many <laughs> challenges and I'm heavily involved with my family and my daughters, but my wife still takes on more of the household things than I do. Right. And I think that's just commonplace. So I think it's more challenging for women. So I, I would, I haven't seen anybody do this well, but I think there should be more um, support or groups for women to kind of support each other. Because there's, there's, it's 90% guys. You go to a conference in e-commerce, it's 90% guys. I think there's, it's harder for women because they're balancing more. And I think that, that's something that I wish that somebody would start is something to support women that are entrepreneurs uh, in a much better way. Yeah, I agree. And that was part of, that is why I started this podcast, right? Fearless Sellers, the women of Amazon, even though we have like 30% men come on. But it really is to shed light on that 
it is hard for women entrepreneurs. But when I was getting on stages at conferences, I was realizing like, hey, where are all my ladies at? Like, where are you guys at? I know the hustle is hard. And I found out only 30% of sellers on Amazon are women. But y'all listen up. The results are the same. It's not that men that. are better entrepreneurs or better sellers. It's that more women need to rise up. And it's not take down the men. We're all on the same team. But this is something that you can do as a woman and balance the rest of your life. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard work. I'm not saying any of this is easy, but there is room at the table for all of us. Yes, I agree. Awesome. Well, Rob, it has been an absolute pleasure to host you. And until next time, stay fearless. Thank you. If you're already selling on Amazon or you're looking to get started and you want my help, go to amzfearless.com to book a free strategy selling session. We can see if we can help you out. That's amzfearless.com. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. Until next time, stay fearless. <laughs>